Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The Marvel of the Mundane, a study in God's method for showcasing power. This is going to be a two-part series. I'll just read the beginning. It'll sort of get us kicked off. Uh, Session one is called The Unremarkable. Now, that doesn't sound like the kingdom of heaven, does it? The unremarkable. And yet, I'm going to introduce you to the kingdom of heaven in and through session one, known as the unremarkable. And yet, what you'll find is that as we begin to realize that God's kingdom truly is remarkable, however, he uses unremarkable things through which to showcase his remarkable nature. So the unremarkable. Question, Eric, do you believe the church at Ellerslie is functioning in a full-scale biblical pattern of truth, love, obedience, holiness, and Holy Spirit power? You guys are interested now. It's sort of like, how's he going to answer that? Um, No. (laughs) I would just say it's a rhetorical question. Of course we're not. But then some of you could say, well, well, Eric, what do you plan on doing about this awful discrepancy? I'm going to preach this message. (laughs) I have a weight and a burden upon my soul that we would be the church as God defines the church. I have the same desire for uh, my six-year-old boy that he would be a man the way God intends him to be a man. But if you were to come up to me and as a father say, why isn't uh, Dub, Kipling, my six-year-old, a full-grown man, I could give you an answer. He's in the process of becoming one. You see, in Christianity, you must recognize that there is a full maturity and there is stages of growth and development. When you measure something, you measure it based on where it should be, not always where it's at. Because each of us should be. We shouldn't just still be drinking milk if we've been a Christian for multiple years. We should be moving on towards meat We should be developing our physiology to be able to function in a greater way. When you're a toddler, you're just learning to walk. And so you're a little off balance. You have your little diapered bum-bum, and you're moving along, and it's really cute. However, if you have a diapered bum-bum and you're 35 years old, something isn't as cute about it. (laughs) So as we grow up, we put away childish things, and we progress towards a greater maturity. We're a very young body. In other words, we're like a toddler in the faith, and yet the key is that that toddler looks to mama and daddy and heeds, obeys, and does the next thing. When you're crawling, you want to rise up and start walking. If you're walking with a toddle, you want to walk with a greater uh, firmness and a greater strength so that you can begin to jump and leap. You ever notice that a toddler struggles with jumping? But as you grow and you begin to gain that physiological dimension of strength, foundation, you can literally jump, run, sprint, climb, and that's how the Christian develops. And as a church, that's how we'll develop. So a father and a child, 
Hudson, this command I leave with you. Take all of my future books, sermons, teachings, radio interviews, and international speaking engagements and fulfill these projects in the same way that you know I would have fulfilled them. If you love me, obey this command. Love your daddy. A lot of us, when we see the scriptures, we see the high command. Are we inaccurate? No. You see, something is being left, father to child. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and we've been given a commission. Now, this is actually a pretty pitifully small commission compared to what we've received in the kingdom of heaven. However, if I dump this commission on Hudson, which I genuinely want him to carry on, I want him to carry on as a messenger of the gospel in great strength and authority. However, a father always knows something when he's passing along a commission. The commission is clear, but a father does not overlook the preparation. You see, as a father, I recognize if I just give a commission without giving a preparation, without enabling a process of growth, what have I really given? All I've done is set up Hudson for failure. And so as a result, a good father is going to know how to build a son. So Hudson, to fulfill this high calling, I've left you with a helper. Right now you are 10 years old and unready for this challenge, but if you heed my helper's voice and obey him in all matters, he will groom you to carry weights that currently you can't carry. Prove faithful in these small, mundane exercises of your soul, and you will be prepared to do things that will demonstrate the supernatural power of Jehovah. Love your daddy. You see, if I was going to leave Hudson with a commission, I'd also leave him with the ability to do it. And the same is true with God. God hasn't just given us a commission, a high calling, but he's also given us the equipment to carry it out. However, when I, though I may give a helper to Hudson, that if he heeds that helper, he would grow, he's still 10. So as a result, my measurement of Hudson is going to be based on the fact that he's 10. And when he's 11, my measurement would be based on the fact that he's 11. There is a full dimension of how a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 12-year-old should be functioning. And as a father, I desire him to be at the highest level of output. I desire him to show forth the fruits of being changed by this helper. The same is true in the church. Growth is as growth is. Growth is a funny concept, and most of us forget that growth is a part of the Christian life. We sort of have this idea, and I don't know where exactly we get it from, because in every aspect of God's creation, there is seedling unto full maturity, unto fruit bearing. I mean, that's in everything. You think about us. We're born as little babies. And when you're a baby, your parents don't expect you to be more than a baby. They know that you're a baby. In fact, they delight in the fact that you're a baby. In fact, oftentimes complain about the fact that you're not still a little one that they can hold. You ever notice that? Moms will say, I can't hold you on my lap anymore. Oh, and they get upset at that you grew up. And yet, that's part of the process. You want your children to grow up, but there's still a, you still have a delight for their little years. Don't you think God has a delight for our little years? Don't you think he loves the, I don't know if it's very cute, but the cuteness Of our early developmental stages, we don't have much of an appetite for it, but it's an interesting thought to think that God designed his creation to reveal his kingdom as well. And so here we are, we're a young church, we're a toddling church, and God knows where we ought to be, and the key question is, are we there? Are we doing what we know to do? We have received a commission to pray. Are we praying? We've received a commission to take the lowest place and to seek out the lowest around us and to say, how can I serve you? How can I give of my strength? How can I give of my resource to those around me? Are we doing it? 
Are we doing the basic things? You see, a lot of us want to measure a true church based on if there are signs and wonders and dead people being raised and uh, a cloud of glory hanging in the air. But are we exhibiting the dimension of strength that God has given us to have? So growth is as growth is. It is marked by stages, gradients, and degrees. So we have our ways of describing it. So when I say 10 years old, you know what that means. That's a, that's a gradient of growth. And so the same is true with the church of Jesus Christ. There's gradients of growth. So if I said that we're in the second grade as a church, you'd know what I'd mean, sort of. In other words, it's young development. We're just learning things. We're learning our letters. We're learning how uh, the, the, uh, the number system works and how numbers can combine and how the rules of math function. We're learning the basics of God's creation. Yeah, that's sort of like us. Introducing the mundane. Mundane is usually not a positive word, but today I want to put a new little twist to it. In other words, mundane is, eh, well, I'll just read all the uh, synonyms for it. The unexciting, the uninteresting, the uneventful, the unvarying, the unremarkable, the routine, the ordinary, the everyday. Well, how boring is that? And yet that's where Christianity is lived. When you read a great biography, which I I love great biographies, oftentimes we will discuss the moments that are peak points or the, the great moments of power when someone heard a voice or someone saw an angel. And so we oftentimes see these things and hear these things and we look at our rather boring existence and we we think it's not quite right. Something's not right about my life here. I I should be showcasing a greater glitter, a a greater uh, fireworks display. Instead of recognizing that God actually has special interest in these moments. The unexciting moments are the test point for you. The uninteresting moments, the moments that that are very easy to fall asleep in, God's wide awake and watching. You see, most of us fail in these moments. And as a result, we're not ready for any greater sorts of moments. The mundane. I'm going to give it a little description here. It's a thoroughfare for God's greatest work. Yeah? God's greatest work is in the mundane things. Not in the marvelous, wild-eyed things, but in the simple, everyday things God takes delight. Understanding the nature of his working. So we're talking about God's working. It's in and through the mundane that God reveals his power. Now, I might need to give you a little convincing of that, but I'm going to lay it out there as far as my base argument that it is in and through the mundane things that God reveals his power. It's a purposeful limitation. God himself chooses. He can do anything he wants. He can showcase his glory any way he sees fit, and yet he purposely reveals his greatest glory in and through small, weak things. I gave some terminology in that one, which is going to trigger you to certain passages of Scripture. He chooses foolish, weak things through which to reveal his great strength. Don't miss that. Many of us feel the necessity to prove God in the glamorous when God has chosen the humble means through which to reveal his glory. Don't you almost feel defensive for God? Like, no, God does not use humble means. God... God can exhibit such an amazing display of whatever he wants. Haven't you seen his creation? I mean, the glory in it? And yet God himself chooses humble means, mundane moments, through which to reveal his marvelous grace. 
his marvelous arrival. So let's just talk about his marvel. So we're talking about marvel. His marvelous arrival. Is it a marvelous thing that Jesus Christ came to this earth and was born as a baby? Absolutely. But just ponder how much mundane is in this. Almighty God, the big, the inexpressible, the vast, the sovereign, chooses a young girl, chooses a carpenter of Nazareth as the father, chooses to be born a baby. By the way, that's rather unremarkable. He could just descend out of heaven in a cloud of glory with fire and rainbow around him. He does have that glory. He chooses to be born in the midst of adversity. He chooses to be laid in a feeding trough. The Greek word is phatne, typically translated manger for us. It's a feeding trough. Excuse me, God, but that's not where you belong. You're God. And yet he chooses the humble means through which to reveal the most marvelous things. Chooses to be witnessed by lowly shepherds. Shepherds are the I mean, they're the lowly in society, and that's who witnesses it. So how do you know he was born? Well, the shepherds testified to it. The shepherds? The dirty old shepherds are the witness? Uh Uh-huh. That's how God chose to do it. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I think it begs the question. What a strange way to do heaven's work. Is this really the way God does things? Yes, it is. God himself has chosen to do it this way. How about his marvelous victory? So we have his birth, but how about the cross? Almighty God, the big, the inexpressible, the vast, the sovereign, chooses to come to this earth as a man. He could have come as a consuming fire or a roaring tsunami, but he chose to come as a servant unto all. He didn't conquer sin and death the way we would have envisioned. I mean, just think about it. If you were going to come down and conquer sin and death, what would it look like? I mean, it would be pretty dramatic. I mean, with you know, all the fireworks displays on. It's like, you know, and you see death go flying, pieces of sin flying everywhere. It's like, that's right. Any questions? Instead, what does he do? He didn't crush the head of the serpent in the manner that humanity would choose. He chose the avenue of betrayal, scourging, mockery, and abandonment as his means of working. He chose the way of the lowly. He chose to identify with the criminal, not to identify with the popular. He chose silence. He chose meekness. He chose death, even death on a cross. Hey, God, whoa, what are you thinking? What a strange way to do heaven's work. But is it really a strange way? Brace yourselves. Or is it the way? See, who's wrong? Is God wrong and a little off in his methods? Or are we off in our perception of the way God should work? There's a way that seems right unto man, and it leads to death. But there is a way that is right unto God, and it is called Jesus Christ, life. And so for us to begin to adapt around God's ways is very important at the beginning of this message. To say, can we accept his means through which to show forth the marvelous? You see, God will reveal the marvelous. We could just call it the glory of God. He will reveal the marvelous. However, how he chooses to do it is very, very important that we are in alignment with that. The itch for the wow. I I struggle with knowing how else to describe it. The wow. The wow factor. Okay. Uh, The the bling. The cachet. Okay. There's certain things that we as a church long for. We long to see things shake. Mountains picked up, moved, thrown into seas. Dead people walking. We want to show the world and say, see? See? See, look, power. And as a result, there's a wooing. 
within an American church is definitely vulnerable to it, but any church anywhere in the world is definitely vulnerable to it, that we lose sight of the glory of God and go after evidences of power. Are evidences of power bad? Oh no, not at all. However, we need to make sure we follow the right one. Have you ever heard it said, signs and wonders will follow? They won't lead. In other words, you don't pursue the sign and the wonder. You walk in stride with God, oh, they'll, they'll follow behind. In other words, they follow, they don't lead. The itch for the wow. We so want the big thing that we forsake the small things. You see, where does God, where, what is his primary means through which to reveal his nature are small things. So when you have an itch for the big things, oftentimes you forget that God is working in the small things. God works through the small. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. His plan, his economy, his way of doing things. It's not ours. This is his way. Don't miss Jesus while looking for the wow. The scribes and the Pharisees were looking for the wow of the Messiah and ended up being the ringleaders and killing the very Messiah they were watching, they were waiting for. So those that are waiting for the wow, okay, if you really are the Messiah, crush the Roman Empire. Instead, what does he do? He humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death and is silent as a lamb unto slaughter. Uh, that's not the wow they were looking for. You see, the Pharisees, the ones that looked for the wow, ended up crucifying the wow, the very one who could bring life itself. And so when you, off, when you get distracted to look for the wrong thing, you oftentimes crucify the very thing that will save you. Seven principles of heaven's work which heaven's work could be called the work of Jesus, it could be called the work of grace, it could be called the work of the Holy Spirit. But let's look at the seven principles of heaven's work. It's humble in its method. So when God is working, he's always humble. Let's, let's look at a banquet table, and we have a low seat at the very uh, front, you know, that's, that's where the, the lowest uh, members of society would sit, and then we have the highest, where if the king entered the room, that's where he would sit. Most of us gravitate towards the high seat, and when Jesus comes to this earth, what's he deserving of? He's deserving of the highest seat, of course. But what seat does he take? He takes the lowest. That doesn't make any sense to us. Now, most of you have grown up in Christianity, and you know he took the lowest place, but you don't recognize that that is his way. You see, if you're going to follow his way, you go to the lowest seat. And when you take the lowest seat, did you know that in heaven, that's the exalted position? So he is exalted to the highest place in heaven when in this earth he took the lowest place. And so for each of us, we need to recognize that God is asking us to go low. He's asking us to accept the mundane, small, unremarkable as his means through which he will deliver the remarkable picture of his glory. So his method is humble. It's often understated in its manner. Now, some of you could argue these things and say, what do you mean God's way is understated? God, look, God has some big bang behind what he does. Uh, go and tell no man. He heals someone who's blind, crippled. Go and tell no man. You see, it's understated in everything he does. It's almost like he's shrouding it. Well, what's he doing? Okay, let's go back to uh, the, the 10 plagues. Do you remember that Pharaoh standing off with Moses? God gives Moses 
a rod. Okay, one of the most unimpressive things you've ever seen. If you were to ever ponder it, what could God have done? God could have taken Pharaoh and broken him over his knee instantaneously. Sort of just hold him up or hold him over the pit of hell and say, Pharaoh, what were you going to say again? Listen to Moses. And Moses says, let my people go. And he says, now what were you going to say? He's like, oh, sure, take him, get him out of here. He could have done anything. Instead, Moses comes in with a little rod, throws it on the ground, and what does it become? A snake. Now, you guys know the story. And then what does Jonathan Jambres' uh, uh, little rods become? Snakes. It's like, hey, God, don't do something they can imitate. Now, I've joked before with Ellerslie students about what he could have done. Throw down the rod. Okay, if you're going to use a rod, God, that's fine. Throw down the rod, and it turns into Godzilla. (laughs) And eats up everyone in the room, and then picks up Pharaoh, and goes, huh? And then Moses says, so, do you want me to tell him to stop or not? Let my people go. You follow me? God could have done this in such a bigger way. The way he did it is small potatoes. We're talking about God. And he chooses the humble means of this way. I mean, come on, God. Flex your muscle. And yet God deliberately chooses small things through which to reveal his glory. So it's easy to be overlooked In every situation, there are small miracles taking place in our life all the time. And yet oftentimes, because we're looking for the wow, we miss out on the small. And we don't live a life of thanksgiving and rejoicing in all things. God is at work. God is moving in our lives. God has brought you to this point, and it's not on accident that you're here. Do you see what he's done, or have you missed it because you're waiting for some big splash? It's always in agreement with his nature, which means it's without sin and guile. Always. God doesn't work as a showman. He doesn't work, you know, fleecing the flock of all its money. He's not a showman in any regard. In fact, he's the opposite. He's under the stage doing his work. It's like, God, you're God. Why aren't you doing it the way we think you should? It's often silent in its moments of moment of greatest triumph. Greatest moment of triumph in all of world history is the cross. And guess what? Jesus is silent as a lamb. In your life, there are going to be great moments of victory and triumph. And yet, they might come in ways and in packages that didn't have the look that you were expecting. And yet, you will always treasure those moments as the greatest moments of your life. It's often dismissed, mocked, and diminished by those looking for a wow, a different, more glittering messiah. Yet nonetheless, it is obvious to the God-awakened observer that truly this was the work of God. Even the Roman soldier will point up and say, surely, truly, amen, this is the Son of God. You see, that's the way the awakened soul looks at it. No, this was God. Well, that could have happened. No, this was God. God did this. Now, I'm right there with you. Any of those of you in here that are like, I don't like it when something happens and you have a cold and you pray, and then the cold goes away. It's like, well, that would have happened anyways. And so to thank God that the cold went away almost seems like it's petty. And I, I'm with you. I understand that logic, and it bothers me too. If God's going to do something, I want it to be clear that God did something. Because I, I remember one of the big things back in the day was leg lengthening. You guys ever heard of that? Uh, I guess a whole bunch of people, obviously, had their legs were different lengths. 
a whole generation, obviously, because everyone was getting their legs lengthened. So they would stand out and the person would go, oh, yes, we've got an inch off here. And then the whole congregation would watch as the leg would be lengthened. Now, I, I don't want to make comments on that. Maybe there were a lot of leg lengthenings, but it really bothers me that the one miracle that God does in North America is leg lengthening. And of course, in my mind, because this is the way I think, probably a lot like some of you, all you have to do is shift your hip a little, and suddenly your leg is longer than it was before. I mean, it's not that difficult. So that's what's going through Eric's mind, okay? So if any of you have a mind like mine, you understand. When I come to a message like this, I'm fine if no one rises from the dead in my generation. doesn't change my faith at all. However, I don't define how God works in a generation. If God wants to bring an entire cemetery to life, let him do it. This is my attitude. I'm not one that itches for wow. I'm perfectly fine with the mundane. My faith rests in his word. That's where it rests. However, as an instrument of God's as his gospel and his strength in this generation, I will say, God, not on my terms. You know what this generation needs. So you do it. A whole cemetery rising from the dead? Wow. Uh, I don't know how many of us believe in that. Well, I, I'm not looking for it. However, my God can do it. He can do whatever he wants. That's what we'll call the wow. Some people live to see the cemetery emptied. I live to see Jesus Christ get his glory. I want us in this church to be about the right things so that when God begins to move in our midst, we do not allow it to go in the wrong direction, to go in the direction of bringing attention to wow instead of to him. Because the moment it gets off course and it begins to be about wow moments is the moment we lose sight of what it's all about. The return of power. It hinges on our readiness to let the mundane aspects of life declare his glory. So I'm going to read that again just so you don't miss it. Some of you don't want the return of power. You're like, I don't want to be one of those charismatic Pentecostal type of environments. I, I, I'm one of those, I don't even know how to describe myself. Uh, some people, they listen to me and they're like, I think this guy's Pentecostal. And then the next sermon I give, they're like, no, 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 not at all. I don't know what I am. All I know is this. I want the real thing. I do not want some trumped up ridiculousness masquerading in the church as if it is in fact the spirit of God when it is nothing but showmanship. I don't want angel feathers floating down. I don't want people sticking some kind of smell in the exhaust system so that you think we're in the holy of holies. I want the genuine thing. And when the genuine thing comes, my knee will bend. But if it's not the genuine thing, I'm not going to sit around and pat everyone on the back and say, oh, I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is moving in your midst like that. It's a very difficult thing for me because I do not want to quench the work of the Holy Spirit in this generation. But I also don't want to stand by idly and let something be called the Holy Spirit when it's not. What does a guy do in a generation like this that has literally been held hostage by false signs and wonders? You know what? There are false signs and wonders. It says that. In Scripture, obviously, Jonathan Jambres turns, turned their rods into snakes as well. Just remember that Moses is eight theirs up. In other words, when the real thing comes, it eats up the fake. It eats up the false. So if you were to ask me, do I believe that there's genuine movement of grace and evidence of the Holy Spirit in this world today? I'd say absolutely. Absolutely. I just want the real thing. That's all I care about. I want the Holy Spirit to be honored I want 
the real thing to be seen. And when it comes, I want to be able to facilitate that which God is doing and not that which the flesh is desiring. So the return of power, it hinges on our readiness to let the mundane aspects of life declare his glory. Are we willing to allow the mundane, the unremarkable aspects of our life be where he proves his glory first? And if we allow him to take the small, seemingly insignificant aspects of our life and live and breathe and move in and through those, then we'll be ready for a greater power. We want to raise dead men to life, but are we first willing to take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus? How remarkable is it to raise a dead man to life but then allow your inner thought life to be ruled by the devil? There's a contradiction there. And it's a contradiction that I cannot accept. I cannot accept that the mundane aspect that no one can see, which is your thought life, is being ruled by the devil, though you are showing external signs and wonders. I refuse to stand by idly and not say something about that. The mundane is the proving ground. And if you can't prove in the first aspects of your life, then something's wrong with the other attributes. We want to throw mountains into the midst of the sea, but are we first willing to love our brother the way Christ loves our brother? You see, we are known not by the fact that we pick up mountains and throw them into the midst of the sea, but you will know Christ's disciples by their love for one another. So if we are not evidencing at the most basic levels the power of the Spirit of God to change a life, something's wrong. Do you follow me? We want the wow, but are we willing to accept the mundane evidences of the truly transformed life. By the way, remember how I said I'm going to change the word mundane? Mundane usually to us means, oh, yeah, come on, let's get past that. I'm saying, no, let's cherish that. It's the marvel of the mundane. When you begin to recognize that your thought life might seem rather mundane and rather boring compared to a dead man being raised to life, however, if you have a supernatural thought life, you'll recognize right along with me. Wow. Uh-huh, did you hear that? Wow is the word. You see, you will see the wow in and through the small. And then when you share the gospel with someone and they recognize they can actually have authority over this body and that that which was defeated and in sin and and driven by lust and fear could be set free, suddenly what will come off of their lips too will be, wow. Yet no dead men were raised to life except for you and your soul. That's where we start. If we aren't faithful with the small, God is not going to entrust us with the bigger. We want to walk on water, but are we first willing to forgive our father for his unkind actions? You want the wow, but are you willing to allow the gospel to penetrate and to change you in the most practical dimensions of your life so that when people see you, they see Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is like this. Of course, that's Jesus' parables. All throughout uh, the, the New Testament, he's giving these mysterious parables And he's always saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so what is it like? Well, you should read the parables. He says one thing over and over and over again. First, prove faithful with a little, and then I will entrust you with more. So when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ being fully functional as the church of Jesus Christ ought to be, what's the kingdom of heaven like? You see, God's going to build a kingdom. He's building and establishing his order of things, his church. What's his his order? The same way a father would. Say, Hudson, I'm going to entrust you with this responsibility. You prove faithful with that, I'll expand your jurisdiction. I'll expand your authority. You see, 
Hudson is my son, has access to my whole estate, but he's limited in his authority. He's limited in his jurisdiction. The same is true with the church. We have access to the fullness of God. However, we must prove faithful with the little grace that we have. And then he can increase upon us. So there's another way of saying this. First, exercise my grace in the mundane aspects of your life. This is God speaking to us. And then even greater grace will be supplied. So if you aren't exercising his grace in your thought life, if you're not exercising his grace in your body, in your physical affections, if you're not exercising his grace in your sleep patterns, in your sexuality, if you're not exercising that grace in regards to taking the love that is given to you in the throne of grace and loving your brother through it, if you're not forgiving those that have harmed you, if you're not doing the basic, most elementary school-level aspects of Christianity, then you will not be given a greater grace for the calling that you have beyond this. This is your calling. This is the will of God right here, right now. And so we want God to showcase himself with a boom, a tremble, an earthquake, the ground opening up and swallowing people alive. Boy, that would make a scene. However, are we first willing to have the earthquake here the ground open up and swallow everything up in our soul that doesn't belong there? Are we willing to allow the first move of his grace be something that seemingly is unremarkable to everyone on the outside, except for the fact that you're now different? You don't behave like you used to. You used to be an angry person, and now you're coming up and giving me a hug? What is this? You see, our lives are changed, and that is God's means of showing the greatest wow in the world. The greatest wow isn't a physical healing. It's a transformed life. It is impossible for anyone to transform a life. And God can do it. And so when you allow him to take this mundane thing, known as you, did I just call you mundane? Rather unremarkable, rather unexciting. CNN is not following you around. There's not a reality show being you know, filmed on your life maybe right now. And no one is like, waiting with bated breath to find out the next thing that you're going to eat or read or do, you're unremarkable. You'd be considered mundane. Say with me. And yet, that mundane life is God's vehicle through which he will reveal his greatest glory to this earth. He wants to choose the small things. How God makes the mundane marvelous. So how does he do it? Well, consider his wonders. I love this. This is a great list. To make a helper for Adam, to reveal himself to Moses, to part a Red Sea, to knock out a giant, to feed 5,000, to heal the man sick with the palsy, and to heal the blind man. You see, a lot of us think that when God works in this earth, he's just going to work. So if he does something, it's just like outside of any involvement of us, he just does it. However, he has limited himself purposely. I mean, he's sovereign. He's huge. He can do whatever he wants, but he has limited himself to use mundane things, everyday articles. This is an incredible picture because it's setting the stage for how he wants to use us to make a helper for Adam. Do you think he needs a rib to make Eve? Come on. Come on. Do you think he needs a rib? Well, do you think he needs a church to reveal his glory? No, but he chooses a rib. He chooses us. And out of it, he creates a bride. How does he do that? Well, it's it's God. You see, he takes something so I mean, who's thinking of that? That's nothing. And he makes something profound. To reveal himself to Moses, 
a burning bush? Okay, by the way, I, I know a burning bush is pretty impressive, especially the fact that it's not consumed. But let's take the fire out of it, and let's just have that bush hang out on the, the side of uh, the mountain. Now, let's take a tour, and let's go visit this bush. Could you imagine we all get in planes, we, we all save up money for, for years so we could go visit the bush. And we look at this bush, and we're all sort of looking at each other going, That's, we, how much money did we spend to see this? Yeah, it's not very exciting. It's a bush. A bush like any other bush. But when God entered that bush, he made it marvelous. You see, when God enters the mundane, when God takes a rib, he takes some everyday thing and makes it marvelous. Look what God can do with a rib. Look what God can do with a bush. God takes the most odd things, small, deadly squat, and makes them huge. To part a Red Sea, a rod, some wind, did you know there was a rod and wind? There was a wind that blew. You know that God could have just parted the sea? Instead, he sends an east wind. Why does he need a wind? He doesn't need a wind. He uses a wind. He doesn't need a rod. He doesn't need a man of faith. Why does he need any of these things? This is his pattern. He chooses weak things through which to reveal his grandness, to knock out a giant, a smooth stone. Does he need a smooth stone? He uses a smooth stone, a smooth stone from a brook. That's amazing. To feed 5,000, this little lunch, some loaves and fishes. Totally, I mean, could you imagine if I like gave you some loaves and fishes today and didn't tell you these are actually the loaves and fishes that were multiplied to feed 5,000. You just start eating them. I go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What? That, that's what Jesus multiplied 2,000 years ago. That's like a collector's item. You're like, what? I didn't know. Of course, that sounds a little gross. I know. I would have been sitting around for 2,000 years. My point is, if you saw that meal, it would be totally unremarkable. And yet God chose the unremarkable through which to reveal his wow. God chooses small things. Just accept it, church of Jesus Christ. It's okay. It's okay that God loves to take small things through which to show his bigness. To heal the man sick with the palsy. Four men to pick him up. He chooses the body to actually participate in this great healing. They couldn't heal him, but they could bring him. And when they brought him, guess what? Jesus looks upon the four and says, great is your faith. You see, something was needed, some tool. And this tool is very important. It's small in nature, but God uses it in a big way. To heal the blind man, well, you just need a little spittle and some mud. Mix it together, splotch it on the eyes, voila! Jesus could heal that guy just by looking at him, just by thinking it. Instead, he uses mud and spittle? How awkward is that? Get used to it in the Gospels. God chooses small, everyday things through which to reveal his glory. God uses the mundane. A rib, a bush, winds, a smooth stone, fishes and loaves, four men, spittle and dirt. The revelation of his glory. The word of God in text, how's it built? With men carried along by the Holy Spirit. He used mundane tools, known as men, to build the most incredible living book. The word of God in person. He uses a little girl named Mary in her womb. He uses something very small and insignificant and totally unremarkable through which to reveal his remarkable nature. The word of God in and through, our, and through the church, our humble bodies, our humble lips, our humble lives. 
God uses mundane tools, and we are those mundane tools. We are his chosen tools by which he accomplishes his work in this world. To speak the truth, to teach the Bible. God can do any of these things on his own, by the way. However, he chooses in his way, in his pattern, to use us to do it. Speak the truth, to teach the Bible, to preach the gospel, to live out and showcase the power of redemptive grace, to pray until the breaking of day and to be his hands and feet under the orphans, widows, poor, lost, and dying. This is his chosen means. It's us. He's like, ah, I'm looking for a tool. Does God need a tool? Yes. Not because he couldn't do it without us, but he chooses this as his means of showcasing his grandeur. Could he do it without mundane tools? Of course. But in his manifold wisdom, he has seen fit to showcase his glory through weak and foolish things. Our God has chosen to do this. Why must we argue? He knows what he's doing. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many of many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. The tools of Jehovah. Mundane tools, that's us, and mundane circumstances. When you begin to recognize that your everyday unremarkable life is actually the thoroughfare through which God wants to reveal his glory, you'll start taking your mundane or unremarkable life very seriously. God has given you a smooth stone. He's given you some winds. He's given you, uh, what was it, uh, spittle and mud. He's given you all the unremarkable substances. And he says, just let me have them. Let me have your everyday moments. Let me have your mud and spittle. Let me have all these aspects of your life. I will use them. And he will. And he'll use them to change the world. So what about the wow? Because that matters, doesn't it? Well, that's uh, for the next message. Oh, talk about leaving you on the edge of your seat. (laughs) All right, let's take a five-minute break. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please, feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.